Today's scripture reading comes from John, the 20th chapter, verses 24 through 31. Uh, you can turn there if you have your own Bible or pull it up on your app. It's John 20, 24 through 31. Let's read it together. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor of Trailhead. Thank you for joining us this morning. A couple of housekeeping items to begin with. Um, if you're tuning in online and, and uh, you're not connected with our community, I, I do want to let you know, man, uh, social media used to be just something we did kind of on the side to, uh, to, to you know, just keep people connected. It, it has, in many ways, become kind of the lifeblood of communication uh, in a lot of ways. So I would encourage, if you haven't yet, make sure you like Trailhead uh, church's um, Facebook page. So just look up Trailhead Church Edwardsville uh, on, on Facebook. Like our page, we have a Trailhead men's group and a Trailhead women's group that, that is very, very active. People praying for each other, interacting with each other. So I would encourage you to plug in um, during this season of virtual community. Uh, that, that, that can be a really vital way um, for you to be connected. Um, secondly, uh, we have some new people joining us. We just don't know you're there. Uh, and so this is a season for us typically that we're growing. And one of the things that we do during this season is this thing called Pizza with the Pastor. Um, and, and we invite people to stay after the service one Sunday and we share pizza together. And I talk a little bit about the history of the church and answer questions. Um, obviously, this is a weird season to try to help new people get connected. Uh, but we thought we'd try it. So we're going to try a virtual pizza with the pastor next week. And, um, and we would love for you to join us. Um, if you are new to the community, if you want to just hang out with Steve, and uh, here's the thing, you, you supply the pizza, I'll supply the pastor. Uh, I will show up and, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about the history of the church, where we are, the vision, the mission, the purpose, and, and, and answer any questions you have, if, if you're a Trailhead regular and you just want to hang out with me virtually, you are welcome to join that, that call. Uh, we'll be setting up, a, uh, I think, a go-to meeting is what we're going to be using for that. But we do need you to let us know you would like to join. So um, there are a number of ways to do that. I think the easiest would be to, to email us at info at trailheadonline.org. Info at trailheadonline.org. If you email us, um, then we will, we will make sure that you get set up with the information for that call. Uh, the final thing that I want to let you know, and, and we're doing this each week, but if you're tuning in uh, maybe for the first time, I don't want you to be caught off guard. Uh, we are going to be sharing communion together at the end of the service. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are welcome to join us 
in that, if not, we'll explain um, how you can respond. Um, but, uh, but I would encourage you to go ahead and get some, some bread, maybe some juice ready uh, in advance so that at the end of the service you can join us in that. So y'all welcome, welcome. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor of Trailhead Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And some of you are all like, Steve, that was, that was last week. Um, you're, you're losing track of your days. I know it was last week. I know, but this week uh, I was doing some studying. I, I was on Wikipedia because that's what we do in a pandemic. Um, and, and I just was reading and I, and I learned something new this week that, that in the church liturgical calendar, at least in certain traditions, this week, the week after Easter is called Bright Week. And I love it. I love it. During Bright Week, uh, Bright Week is, is the beginning of, of a season of brightness, of celebration, and it lasts from Easter all the way to Pentecost, which of course is a, a rich Old Testament um, uh, festival, but, but also when the Spirit of God in the book of Acts descended on the new believers, and there was this birth of this new community called the church. And, um, uh, and, and so from then until then, Pentecost this, this year is on May 31st. So from, from last Sunday to May 31st, it's a season of feasting. It's a season of celebration. It's a season of joy. Fasting is prohibited during this, this season. And bright week is specifically the week after. And, and when believers meet one another during this season, they're supposed to greet each other with the Easter greeting. One would say, he is risen. The other responds, he is risen indeed. It, it is a way of just sitting in and celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Uh, so I love it. I love it. So for the next six weeks, it's, it's going to be this, this season of, of celebration. Uh, I think it's a perfect balance uh, in many ways. We have six weeks before before uh, Easter that we call Lent, and, and this year we all gave up way more than we intended to for Lent, and, and then we have seven weeks after Easter uh, that that is for celebration. I think it's a, I think it's a great way to balance this out. Now, ba- Bright Week culminates today. Bright Week is the week after Easter, and it culminates on on this Sunday, and it is called the Sunday of Saint Thomas or Thomas. Sunday because of the account that we are considering today, which took place the Sunday following the resurrection. This passage contains one of the clearest declarations from the disciples of the deity of Jesus. It is is profound, uh, and it is an insight into what the disciples believed and what Jesus endorsed. We'll look at that. Uh, But just as interesting is that this declaration of faith grew out of a crisis of faith, right? Thomas, most people haven't even read this passage, but most people have heard his nickname, right? The guy's nicknamed Doubting Thomas, right? When I first became a believer, I was told, you know, don't be a, a Doubting Thomas, right? It was like an insult. But here's the reality. We're all Thomas. We're all Thomas. We, we are going to have to deal with doubts. We are going to have to deal with, um, with faith crises. It's going to happen. If we want to see our faith grow, we're going to have to learn how to process our doubt. Because doubt is the servant of faith. And we'll take a look at that as we, as we take a look at our passage. So let's take a look at our passage. First of all, I want you to see that doubt surfaces 
the compelling questions that grow our faith. Doubt surfaces the compelling questions that grow our faith. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 24 and 25 to you. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so this was on the day of the resurrection. Jesus appeared to his disciples in a closed room, but Thomas wasn't there. Verse uh, 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Interesting. Now, some of you, you know, may be wrestling with that. You might be thinking, Steve, um, how is this a crisis of faith? Right? How, how is this even being called doubting Thomas? Because honestly, it just seems reasonable. Right? I mean, honestly, people don't come back from the dead. Right? If somebody shows up, even a group of people show up and they're like, hey, so-and-so, you know, just raised from the dead. You're going to be like, I, you know, common sense says no, 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 right? This isn't a crisis. He's just from Missouri, right? He's from the show me state. He's like, look, if, if I'm going to believe something this insane, I got to see it for myself because it doesn't make any sense. I want to make an important point connected to this. We all hold different expressions of faith that can be in crisis. In other words, people look at this and they might think that's not a crisis of faith. It's nothing like, like what I would call a crisis of faith, but but here it is, it is a crisis of faith, but the faith that's in crisis isn't his faith in Jesus. It's his faith in himself. He had a lot of faith in himself. He had a lot of faith in, in what he perceived to be reality, what was real and wasn't real, right? Because people don't come back from the dead. Right? That's, that's, a, that's, that's a pretty logical statement that most people aren't going to be arguing with. Right? So, so how is this an issue of faith when, when, when he's just stating the obvious? Well, here's the thing, y'all. We are all creatures of faith. We all put our faith in what we find trustworthy. All of us. Right? We put our faith in what we find trustworthy. And, and when we find that something threatens what we trust, we will have a crisis of faith. That doubt will create an internal turmoil because what we thought was trustworthy now no longer seems to be trustworthy. What we thought was solid and unchangeable suddenly seems to be possibly fluid. Y'all, let's be honest. There are a few things that we find more trustworthy than ourselves. That's just real. Like, like I, you know, my reasoning, I, I trust my reasoning, my ability to think clearly, to come to logical conclusions, to be able to see the reality of the situation, my feelings. I trust my feelings because my feelings tell me the reality of who I am in any given context. They, they reveal to me how I'm responding, right? We even have this phrase, we talk about my truth. And that's a way of saying that maybe we each have different experiences and maybe we come to these situations differently, but, but, but I have my truth. My reasoning, my feelings, my experience, and it is true for me, even if it's not true for you. There are few things we trust more than ourselves. That means our faith in ourselves is always going to be in competition with our faith in God. Those are two competing sources of trust. 
And, and we're continually going to be moved into this crisis. Who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust my perception or God's word? Am I going to trust my feelings or am I going to trust uh, God's leading? Am I going to trust um, what I think is true or what God says is true? Am I going to trust myself to tell a, a better story for my life or am I going to trust God to tell a better story for my life? We are going to go as followers of Christ from faith crisis to faith crisis, the only question is which faith is going to end up in crisis. This can come in many, many forms, right? So like with Thomas, you may be struggling with the big questions of Christianity, right? Like the obvious one here. Can, can we actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead? That is a good logical question. If that's your struggle, man, it is a legitimate struggle. That's a question worth asking. Now, I'm not going to try to answer that question this morning. That, that is way off uh, the scope of where we're focusing. But I will tell you that there are, there are good resources available to you, and I would encourage you to engage them. And if you let me know, I, I will. You can email me at steve at trailheadonline.org, and, and I will help you get connected to some great resources. Uh, you can read N.T. Wright's The Resurrection and the Son of God. You, you can, there are other things that you can dig into and look at. You're, you're going to have to be willing to do a little bit of the heavy lifting. To find good answers and solid reasoning and good history, more than just a, a two-minute YouTube video that, that is a summary of, of, uh, of your neighbor's best thoughts. There, there is good information available. I can point you to it. So maybe that's your doubt. Maybe, maybe that's your struggle. Can I believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? But the reality is many of us are struggling with different issues. A lot of you believed in Jesus. A lot of you are like, yeah, 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 Jesus rose from the dead. You, you, you are comfortable with that. You've been persuaded of that. You believe that. <clears throat> but you're struggling with whether or not you can trust him with your life. You're, you're struggling with whether or not you can trust him to tell a better story for your life than God would. Uh, Tim Keller has a quote that I would, I would love to share with you. Tim Keller says, uh, worrying or worry is not believing God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Worry is not believing that God got it right, or will get it right, and bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Do you struggle with worry and bitterness in this season? Are you finding yourself filled with anxiety? Are you finding yourself resenting some of the things that are happening? See, I'm, I'm telling you that that indicates a struggle with faith. Right? We don't think of that as doubt. We don't think of that as a faith crisis. But that is, in fact, what's happening. There is there's a, a struggle taking place with who am I going to trust? What is going to be trustworthy in my life? This is a season that will test our faith. It's going to happen. There is a global pandemic taking place. Our lives have been upended. The economy has been upended. Our normal social rhythms have been upended. This is a season that will test our faith. And many of you are wrestling with very real and compelling dilemmas. What, what if I lose my job? What if all this close contact puts my marriage in crisis? What if I go from feeling comfortably alone to feeling isolated and forgotten? What if I lose my retirement? What if I lose my vacation? What if I, what if I lose all these things that I've been dreaming for and working for, this life that I have been building? What if I, what if I, what if I? There are endless things that we can worry about that might happen or grow bitter about because they did happen. 
I'm afraid that God is not telling the story I wanted him to tell. That's a faith crisis. Here's the thing with this whole faith crisis thing. They have to happen, y'all. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing faulty with your faith. There's nothing faulty with with you as a follower of Christ. These crises, these faith crises have to happen. They will happen. If we are going to grow in our faith in Jesus, our faith in ourselves has to be exposed, tested, and found faulty. Because we are either going to trust ourselves or we're going to trust Christ. And to grow in our trust in Christ, we have to be have to see where we trust ourselves that has to be exposed, right? Thomas hit a crisis where he has to either trust himself and his perception of reality, what I know, or he has to trust these people that he loves, these disciples, these men and women who are witnesses of the resurrection of Christ, this, this incredible but unbelievable news, Thomas hits a crisis. And his honest response, and it's honest and it's humble, it's very simple, I can't go there. I can't go there, y'all. I love Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Take a look at verses 26 and 27 for me as we take a look and see how doubt creates the tension in which faith grows. Doubt creates the tension in which faith grows. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Now, eight days later, you're like, how is that a week? Remember that In the Jewish mind, any partial day counted as a full day. So it was a week later on Sunday as they gather. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Did he come through the locked door? Did he walk through the wall? We don't know. What we do know is that Jesus was raised in a physical body. This is not saying that he was raised in a spiritual body. When the women were invited to come into the tomb to see where Jesus lay, his body wasn't there. He was resurrected. Now, if he walked through a wall... Remember, he's the guy that walked on water. He can perform miracles. We don't know what this means. What we do know is that he has a a resurrected body, and he appears to them in that resurrected body, and he says to them, peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. First thing I want you to notice about this passage is that Thomas finds himself um, in a faith crisis, and Jesus comes and meets him there, right? Jesus comes to Thomas and meets him there, right? It's in the same way that, 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 that Jesus does everything, right? Jesus, preexistent as God, left heaven and came to earth, right? He came to us. He didn't make us work our way up to him. He came down to us to save us and specifically to save Thomas. He came from heaven to earth for Thomas in the same way he did it for you and for me. And now once again, he comes to Thomas where Thomas is. An important principle here, y'all. God will meet you where you are. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix. You, you just have to be honest and humble because God's not put off by your mess. He will meet you where you are. Now, if you're not honest and humble, God will still meet you there. The problem is you won't see him there. If you're not honest and humble, that means you're, you're filling your head with lies and you're filling your heart with pride. And if you're doing that, God will be right in front of you and you just won't see him. He'll be giving you answers and you just won't hear them. So, so Thomas has to show up honest and humble. And, and as long as we do that, God comes to us. 
He will meet us where we are. That is a beautiful principle that we see over and over again. God is a humble God. And he will meet us where we are. We don't have to work our way up to him. A second thing I want you to notice is that he shows up eight days later. (laughs) Why eight days? Now, there's no numerology happening here, right? There's nothing special or magic about the, the number eight. The real question is, why did he wait a week? Right? Thomas was in crisis on Resurrection Sunday. Why did Jesus wait a week before he showed up to Thomas? All right, you ready for this? Here's the answer. I have no idea, right? Nobody does, right? There's no answer given. But I do know this. God wasn't on vacation. God wasn't distracted. God wasn't unconcerned about Thomas. He was at work in Thomas. To paraphrase John Piper, God is never not doing a million things even though we may only be aware of one. God was absolutely at work in the waiting. What was he doing? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. But he was active. He was present with Thomas, even though physically he hadn't shown up to Thomas. He was at work in Thomas's heart to prepare him for the confrontation that was coming. You need to realize this, y'all. God works in the waiting. God works in the waiting. We hate the tension of waiting. When we have a faith crisis, when something we we value and trust seems to be endangered, we want God to show up now. We want answers now. We want clarity now. We hate the tension of waiting, but it is in the tension that God is often doing His deepest work. It is in the tension that often God is tilling the deepest soil. God won't answer your questions in your time. He will not. He doesn't run on your timetable. He runs on His and His is always right. He often will delay in His response. And His delay is often just as important as the answer. And the reality is is that often the delay is more important than the answer. Because often what's happening in the delay is that God is helping us rediscover our humility and our honesty. Remember, if we don't show up with humility and honesty, He can give us an answer and we won't see it. He can show up and we won't admit it. He, we, we will fill our heads with lies and our hearts with pride and we'll see the truth in front of us and we won't see it for what it is. Often in the waiting, in that tension, God is at work to redeliver us back to humility and honesty. And he'll show up just in time to help us meet him in his love. The final thing to notice in these verses is that Thomas is with the disciples in the upper room. I think that's fairly compelling, right? A week ago, he had this strong disagreement with them. They're like, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he's like, no, y'all, I can't go there, right? He didn't allow his crisis of faith to become a crisis that cut him off from his faith community. He didn't allow his crisis of faith to become a crisis that cut him off from from his faith community. He experienced his doubt, and and he, he held to his faith, and he remained in the tension, not only in his own heart, but in the community of people with whom he no longer agreed. Or he was struggling to agree with. He found himself there's a gap between us and them, right? He he did not pull away. From his faith community. This is important. Listen, doubt isn't the enemy of your faith. I want you to catch this. Doubt isn't the enemy of your faith. Doubt is the servant of your faith. Pride is the enemy of your faith. 
And the problem is doubt often inflames our pride. Doubt will become the servant of your faith if you fight to remain humble in the trial. Uh, there's this new thing that, that uh, has become quite popular, these stories that are called deconversion stories. I've been a believer for about 30 years and have been leading in one capacity or another over the three decades. And so I, I, have, I have obviously seen my share of deconversion stories. I've walked with a number of, of some of my former students and, and, and at a distance at times with those that have gone through their own deconversion stories. Deconversion stories are exactly what, they're, what they are. They're people coming out and, and basically instead of testifying to their faith in Jesus, they're testifying to their lost faith in Jesus. And, and, and I've seen, now this isn't true of every individual, and this isn't true of every individual story, but I have seen uh, a fairly consistent theme that many of these deconversion stories have in their background no healthy understanding of how to process doubt. There's no healthy understanding of how to process doubt. And so when the doubt comes in, at first it's denied, then it's attacked, and then it's embraced, and it becomes something that inflames the pride. And a lot of times they, they move from false assurance in Christ to false convictions of doubt. In other words, they're quick to form convictions instead of patient to form questions. Instead of patiently sitting in the tension and saying, what is this tension leading me to truly ask? What are the things that I genuinely need to wrestle with? They go from, from, from a false assurance of faith that is, that is overly robust because they're just denying any possible doubt to, to a, a deceptive embrace of the doubt. They empower it to become their, their new truth. Can't handle the tension of... of holding faith and doubt so they feel forced to choose. One of these will become my defining truth. Now, I don't blame a lot of the young people that have struggled with this, and I don't blame a lot of the young people that have had deconversion stories. I think it's partly caused by the background of the evangelical Christian subculture that has done a horrible job embracing doubt, that has taught young people that, that doubt is the enemy and anything that would cause you to doubt is the enemy. And here are the things that you need to believe and everyone else is wrong and everything else is wrong and, and, and you don't need to think for yourself. You don't need to be a critic. You, know, you just need to know these things and anybody who would attack those things is an enemy to be defeated. Keep thinking these things and you'll be okay. That was kind of the message often in, in the evangelical Christian subculture. Listen, you know, it's just not real. It's not real. Everyone is going to struggle with doubt. Everyone is going to struggle with doubt. Everyone is going to have to learn how to wade in the tension between as, 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 as what we trust is, is in crisis, as what we think we know is, is in crisis, as, as we're wrestling with how to even formulate effective questions to help us articulate the tension we're feeling. Listen, some people are going to struggle they're going to wrestle with whether or not God exists. There are, there are Christians who, on a regular basis, are, are wrestling with this big, big picture. And there's nothing wrong with you. Right? You're wrestling, how can God exist when there's so much broken? I get it. Right? There's nothing wrong with you. Some people, on the other hand, are, are going to be like, I never wrestle with any of that. I'm a black and white person and things that are true are true. And yet they wrestle daily with whether God can be trusted with their kids or with their job, or with their future. Everyone is going to find themselves in the tension 
of who am I going to trust? My reasoning, my feelings, my truth, my story, or God? Everyone. Thomas models how we should do this. We need to wait in the tension, not run from it. We need to do it in community. And we need to wait for God to meet us in it. Thomas surfaced his doubts and asked his questions and waited in community until God showed up. And then in verses 28 and 29, uh, he does. He does. We see that doubt helps us grow in the clarity that leads to dynamic transformative faith in, in verses 28 and 29. I'm going to read these verses to you. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's easy for us to miss how powerful Thomas's statement was. And so I want to pause for a moment just to consider it. My Lord, my God. Lord, kurios, the Greek word kurios was used in the Old Testament in the Septuagint to translate the actual name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh was too holy to be, to be said or to written, and so they, they in, the, in the Septuagint, translated as kurios, as Lord, my Lord. It's a powerful theological statement. And then he takes it a step further, my God, hotheos, the, the God, my God, right? He, he's, this is a profound theological statement, right? He, he, and, and, and there are going to be those who are going to be like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is, isn't it possible this is like a first century um, adaptation or a first century version of OMG? You know what I'm saying? Like Thomas is just like, my Lord, my God, right? Like, whoa, OMG, is this possible, right? Not a chance, not a chance. This was, this was a trained theological Jewish man. He knew the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain, right? There's no chance he would do that, right? And, and literally, it's even stronger when you look at the original Greek. Literally, he says, my the Lord my the God, which makes no sense in English, but in Greek, it, it had an emphasis, right? I want you to think about the word the for a minute, right? I know it's weird. We never think about the word the. It's just a, a word, right? But, but, but it does bring a nuance, even in English. It, it's even more pronounced in Greek, but, but it brings a nuance, right? If I say he is president versus saying he is the president, there is a bit of a nuance difference, right? To say he is president could be talk about the function he serves. But to say that he is the president talks about the office under which he operates. To say he is president might be talking about his character, his function. To say that he is the president talks about his position of power and honor and influence. Right? Thomas's declaration is very strong. He says, my the Lord. My, the God, you are the Lord. You are the God. And you are my Lord. And you are my God. This is a profound theological and a deeply personal declaration. In Jesus' verse in 29 uh, his response in verse 29, we find no correction. Jesus isn't like, wait, 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 wait. Like right when Paul was mistaken for being one of the Greek gods, Paul was like, wait, 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 that's blasphemy. Don't call me God, right? There's no correction. Jesus isn't like, wait a minute, you're missing something here, right? There's no correction. Instead, he's more like, you get it. 
Now you get it. Now you believe. Now you believe. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Listen, sometimes faith is won by evidence, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we need evidence, something to help us persuade us, something like, like N.T. Wright's diligent and thorough research of, of, of the first century world and, and everything we know about the resurrection, right? Sometimes we need detailed, substantial material to help us understand and to grow in our faith. But listen to me, the heart of faith doesn't rest on persuasive evidence. Persuasive evidence is important and is necessary, but the heart of faith is a response to love. Genuine faith isn't just a response to truth. It is a response to love. Thomas wasn't being primarily confronted by evidence. He was being confronted by love. Jesus showed up and he said, see my hand. Go ahead. There's the nail print. See my side. Where the spear pierced my heart. Put your hand in there. Because I did this for you. I did this because I love you. Thomas was crushed. Not by the evidence, but by the love. My Lord and my God. Thomas is persuaded by the evidence, but he is won by the love. You are my Lord. You are my God. Here's the thing, y'all. This is the faith crisis we all need to have. And, and John makes that clear. The, the author of the Gospel of John makes that clear by the way he leads right into these next two verses. Because in these next two verses, he actually is summarizing the entire Gospel and explaining to us why he even wrote it. And, and we're going to see that doubt is the hinge on which the door of life turns as it invites us to believe in God's indescribable love. So this is the door to, to eternal life. And the hinge that, that on which it swings is, is doubt, because doubt is what invites us to faith, right? So, so the next verses that we're going to read aren't part of John's story. They're, they're John's purpose statement for writing the entire gospel. I'm going to read verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Listen, there's a whole chapter left in the book of John. He puts his conclusion right here because I think he wants it right up next to this compelling story about Thomas, right? Because the question that confronted Thomas is the same question that confronts us. Will you like Thomas? be able to say in the confrontation of the gospel my lord and my god this is the critical question of eternity that confronts us all jesus the son of god the second person of the trinity coexistent with god the three who's the one what right three father son and holy spirit 
three who's, one what? One God, great mystery, can't explain it. But Jesus becomes flesh, right? God becomes man to live a life we should have lived, die the death we deserve to die, and then rise again and defeat because he had defeated our sin and our death, right? Second Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross, the embodiment of our rebellion, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that, that when he rose from the dead and we believe in him, we can be actually covered in the very righteousness, the very active obedience of Jesus himself before God. We are justified, declared right by God, by grace, through faith. By grace as an act of God's generous love, through faith by simply trusting in this God, who did this for us. Faith. Faith. Faith is how we enter into relationship with God and it's how we grow in our relationship with God. Who are we going to trust? Us? Our plan? Our salvation projects? Our efforts to make us right? Or God? The critical question for us is this. Will we expose our doubt to faith, or will we starve our faith with our doubt? Are we going to hold the tension of doubt and faith together so that we can grow in our faith by exposing our doubt, or are we going to allow our doubt to put our faith to death because of pride and fear? Listen, a follower of Christ, your faith, man, is how your, your spiritual journey began with Christ, but it's not where it ended, right? Faith isn't a one-time decision. It isn't a one-and-done thing. It's like a plant that grows. Jesus describes it like a seed that is planted. And, and, and we need to keep growing in trust for God by growing in our response to God's love. We need to continue exposing these, these doubts where we're more inclined to trust ourselves than we are to trust God. We need to keep growing in faith by learning to allow doubt to become the fertilizer of our faith instead of the weeds that choke it out. Where is God asking you to sit in the tension? Where is God asking you to surface your questions and to wrestle with your trust in order that you can, you can put your faith in yourself to the test and grow in your trust for him? Because that place of discomfort can become your greatest place of, of change of dynamic transformation in your life. Your doubt, listen to me, that current struggle, that, you, that tension that you despise can become the transformative force that frees you into a dynamic new experience of faith. Be patient with yourself and with God and with others. Be patient. Wrestle. Wrestle with the doubt, but more importantly, wrestle with the pride and the fear that would cause you to run from the tension and shut it all down. Because God will meet you in it. If you wait. Listen, can you imagine if we all came out of this pandemic stronger than when we went in? Like, like, like down the road, people are like, man, wait, you have such a vibrant faith. Where did this come from? You have such a transformative prayer life. Where did it come from? And we're like, you know, it came from that time. And I was crushed and overwhelmed. And it was so hard. But God met me in it. And I came out of it saying, My Lord and my God. 
And I'm thankful. Let me close this in a word of prayer. We'll share communion in a moment. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you meet us where we are, that you don't judge us for our doubts or our weaknesses, our failings or our sins. You've judged Jesus in our place so that you can reach out to us in love. Give us the humility and give us the honesty and the courage necessary to invite you into our mess, to know that we don't have to clean ourselves up, but we, we can invite you into our mess knowing that you are eager to meet us in it. Give us patience, Lord, as we wait, because often the answers are right in front of us. We just haven't grown the eyes necessary to see them yet. We haven't grown the ears necessary to hear your voice yet. Give us the patience to wait, and in the waiting, that our false faith in ourselves might be exposed, and it might grow into a dynamic, powerful faith in you. Lord, meet us in it. 